For this month of November, the series we're doing, as you've seen on the screen, is called Echo Chamber. And uh, the, the premise behind a, an echo chamber, if you know of a, what an actual echo chamber is, it's so that sound is not lost. It's so that when, when sound is, is put out, that it is, uh, reverberates and it comes back. And uh, you remember what you said, right? So in our faith, we feel like a sound chamber, or excuse me, an echo chamber is imperative in the life of faith so that we remember what God has done for us, so that we remember the faithfulness of God. We cannot and must not lose the sound of God's faithfulness in our life. And so what we're gonna do is this month, we're gonna take this whole month to just talk about the faithfulness of God, remembering the faithfulness of God. In fact, the next three weeks after today, we're going to have video testimonies in each of the, the Sundays. It's a segment we're gonna have in the service. We're calling the Echo Chamber segment, really. And uh, there's people from our church that are gonna be sharing how God has been faithful in their life. And I believe it's going to encourage you and, uh, and also challenge us because we, we just believe so wholeheartedly that it's in a, in a society where it's getting further and further away from God that it's important that we as the body continue to revel and remember and resonate in the faithfulness of God in our life. So that being said, uh, we're gonna jump in today. Today I'm gonna kind of do a, an intro to the month for you, and um, we're gonna start in our text verse, which is out of Deuteronomy. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, if you would, please. We, we like to stand for the reading of God's word, just to honor his word. And uh, this is out of the book of Deuteronomy, and just real quickly before I read it, let me give you a little premise here. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses. It was when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, and in Exodus and Leviticus, God gave them the law through Moses, and then they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and now they're on the cusp of going into the promised land. And uh, Moses gives them the law again. In fact, the word Deuteronomy means second law. So it's him repeating the law to them because a lot of them weren't alive back when God brought them out of Egypt. And so they needed to be reminded of God's law. And so this is what he's telling them when he reminds them of God's law. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. It says, only be careful. Everyone say, be careful. careful. And you're not talking to anybody else. You're talking to yourself. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So be careful so that we do not forget what we have seen God do in our lives. That's the word of the Lord for us today. The title of my message today is just Remember That. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word is what transforms us. So God, I pray that today that my words would be your words. And Lord, that anything that comes from me today would fall to the ground, but what is of you would, be, would produce fruit in our lives, would, be, uh, would manifest in our lives for your glory and for our good. And Jesus, we always, always want you to get all the glory, the banner over us. You are the banner over us, Jesus. We thank you for it today. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Praise God. You can be seated. So we're gonna talk about remembering today. Remember that. You know, we as humans need to be reminded a lot. You know, we, it's easy to forget, hard to remember. And the older you get, the easier it is to forget, right? I think somebody said one time, there's, there's two things that go when you get old. The first thing is your memory. The second thing I can't remember. <laughs> so it just gets worse and worse and worse. I'm already feeling it. But um, that's just how, we're just prone to that, right? To forget things. So we need to be reminded. In fact, we live in a time, a day that, uh, we have a lot of things that can remind us. You know, your phones will remind you of anything and everything under the sun. There's whole apps dedicated 
just to helping you remember things, right? Our cars remind us to put our seatbelt on. Annoyingly, I might add. Our doctors, our dentists, they call us to remind us, hey, you got an appointment tomorrow, right? We get reminders all the time because we are forgetful people. We forget things, so we need to be reminded. We also need to be reminded of our memories that we have, things in our life that are worth remembering, things in our life that are good. You know, when we, when we talk about and remember good things in our life, it does something, it stirs our hearts, right? In fact, just it wasn't long ago, just a few weeks ago, all me and Joy and the kids were in the kitchen one night and just chatting. And next thing I knew, the conversation, they started asking us questions about how we got together. And uh, so we were telling them about our dating life and our courting and, and how all that went. And it was kind of funny, you know, because, um, you know, we, I think we broke up four times while we were dating. You know, it was kind of weird. And, um, but the thing I tell people all the time is that at least we got all our breakups out of the way before we got married. So that was good. Um, and so uh, we were telling them all about it, and, and it was so fun to reminisce and talk about how we got together, because, and it just stirred my heart, and it just reminded me of how much I love my wife, and it also reminded me of how much she chased me. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's my story, I'm sticking to it. Um, but it was just so, it, it just did the heart good. We were just having a really good time that night, and we'll remember it forever because it was just fun. But all we were doing was talking about something that happened. We were just remembering a good thing in our life. And so the question for us today is not just on our memories of, you know, of our life and the good things that have happened, but we all should have good faith memories too. Now that's not, I don't know if that's a real term. I might have just made it up, the idea of faith memories, but I know the concept's not made up. It's the idea that we remember the faithfulness and the goodness of God in our life and the importance of remembering the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the faithfulness of God in our life. And remembering times where God has shown himself faithful. Now, it's important for all of us to remember those times where we can see it, where we could see his faithfulness in our life. Now, but to clarify, before we move any further, I wanna make sure we know that just, there are times in our life where God will help us to see his faithfulness, but there's never a time in our life that God is not faithful. Sometimes it's just more visible than others but he's always faithful. He is not able to not be faithful in our life. I say this all the time, but the Bible tells us that one of his names is faithful. It says the writer, faithful and true. It's out of Revelation. That that's actually his name is faithful, so he can't go against who he is. He's always faithful. And actually, if we can get this in our spirit, that he is always faithful and really believe it, and not just something we say to our church friends on Sunday morning, or just sing it because it's, on, it's the lyric in the song, but really believe it in our heart, that he is always faithful, it will change our life. It will change your life if you can believe that he's faithful even when the chips are down. Even when you're in a less than desirable season in your life, if you can believe it, it will change your life. And the way you know if you believe that he's always faithful, in case you're wondering, you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. I think I do, but maybe I don't. It all hinges on how you can talk about the faithfulness of God when in a situation that you are going through that you don't like. If you can talk boldly about God's faithfulness in your life in the midst of a health crisis or a financial crisis or a relational crisis, if you can talk boldly about the faithfulness of God, then you know that you really do believe that he's faithful in all things. Because it's easy to reminisce about his faithfulness when you saw him come through for you in a way that was like one of those things you wanna journal and you wanna tell people about and you wanna post on Instagram because it was so cool. It's easy to talk about his faithfulness then. Can you talk about it when things are not going your way? And see, he gives us these times where we can see his faithfulness, where we can tangibly see it, to help us through the times when we can't see it. 
That's his heart. He gives us those so that we can see that he is faithful. And those are the things that oftentimes will sustain you in the times that you can't see it with your eyes. You see, the Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. In Corinthians, that the, the, the crux of our faith is to walk by faith, not just by what we see, but there are times God actually lets us see it. In fact, if you go back to my text verse, just the one part of the one verse, Moses says, do not forget the things your eyes have seen. And he's talking about your literal eyes. They saw the faithfulness of God. They saw him bring these 10 plagues on the Egyptians and it didn't affect them at all. He saw, they saw God part the Red Sea for them so they could cross over. They saw God close the Red Sea back up on the Egyptian army. They saw God lead them by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw God put manna on the ground for them so they had food to eat and then quail so they had food to eat. They saw God bring water out of a rock. They saw all of these things. And Moses is saying, do not forget these things. Be careful not to forget what you have seen. And it's actually almost a warning too because he's saying, you're going into this promised land. There's gonna be some tough times. But you need to remember the faithfulness of God because there's nothing more important in this world than being reminded of God's faithfulness and of his mercy and of his grace and his goodness for you, but also for all of mankind. See, God's faithful in two aspects. He's faithful to mankind, to the human race, but he's also faithful to you. And we need to remember his faithfulness to all of mankind too, because that's the gospel. That's the salvation that's been brought to us, was the faithfulness that he, that he provided and exemplified for all of mankind in the world. And just as we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in circumstances, it's even more important that we're reminded about his salvation that he brings to us. Because some of us, we've been saved a long time. And it's easy to just kind of skirt over it or not really give it much thought or much um, brain power or brain space in our life because we just know it so much. We've heard the gospel so many times. I actually heard of a, a preacher was telling me a few years ago that he had pastored a church in a small, uh, small country town. I don't even know what state it was in, but he said he would stand at the back door at the end of service and greet everyone as they left. And he literally had an elder come to him at the end of one of the services and he shook his hand, but he said, could you please stop preaching the gospel every Sunday? We've heard it enough already. <laughs> Which to me, it's like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Enjoy your church, guys, because you're missing it if you don't think you need to hear the gospel consistently. We need to hear it every day. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we need to be reminded of our salvation. You need to be reminded of it. It's not a one-time thing. It is something you live out every single day of your life. You know, last week we took communion, and it's because Jesus said to do this, remember my body and my blood that was shed, remember me. Do this, remember the gospel, remember the sacrifice that I made, take the elements in remembrance of him. That's why we do communion. It's to remember the salvation that was purchased for us, the substitutional atonement where he came in and took our place on the cross where we deserve to be. We remember his salvation that he brought to each one of us. It's so important that we, that we remember how desperate we are for his grace, how desperate we are for his mercy and his love in our life. You know, we can fall into the trap of thinking, you know, you got the, at the bottom of the mountain, you got the, the really bad people. You know, you got the murderers, you got the pedophiles, you got the, you got the, the deviants, you just got the really, you know, the cellar dwellers of society down there in the bottom of the mountain. And we may be up here closer to the top of the mountain 
and we can feel all sanctimonious and high and mighty, and we might be further along the mountain than the people down there are. The problem is the goal is not the top of the mountain. The goal is the stars. And so it doesn't matter how much you are up the mountain, you're still millions of miles from the stars, and the only way to get there is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. The only reason we can stand before God with boldness is because of Jesus in us and what he has done in our life. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of that in our life. Don't ever get tired of the gospel. The story of the gospel should move us. I even had a beautiful reminder this week. I was just reading a devotional and it was, just, it was talking in the devotional about the cross and how the cross was not some tragic, murderous event that happened to Jesus. Nothing happened to Jesus. He said, no one can take my life from me. Nobody can do anything to me that I don't allow. He says, I lay down my life. This was the reason he came was to go to the cross. It didn't matter how good of a teacher he was. It didn't matter how many people he healed when he was on the earth. It didn't matter all all the things he did as a person on the earth was completely irrelevant without the cross. The incarnation of Jesus was completely irrelevant to us today without the cross and then without the empty tomb. Without those things, Jesus was just a good man that lived on the earth, and it doesn't do anything for you and me today. The reason we have salvation, the reason we have the Spirit of God that lives in us is because the sacrifice Jesus made was acceptable to God. And we need to remember the cross. If we don't, we will start to take it for granted. And when we take something for granted, that's a slippery slope. If the gospel, if the idea of the cross and of the salvation you have is in the back seat in your life, You and I both know well enough to know that something getting from the back seat to the front seat in our life doesn't happen very often. It usually stays in the back seat forever because there's always things wanting to get in that front seat. The stack in the front's getting taller and taller all the time. And if we think we can keep it back there and then get it up to the front whenever we want it, we are deceiving ourselves. The writer of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse two, I love this verse. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Everyone say, fix my eyes. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the writer here is telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, these are different eyes, because obviously we can't look at Jesus with our physical eyes. We're not, it's not 2,000 years ago, it's today. And so these are the eyes of faith. He's saying the focus of your faith, the focus of your life, let it be on Jesus. Fixing our eyes is about remembering what he has done and anticipating what he will do. That's what, remember, that's what fixing your eyes on him is all about. It's all about remember. You could, uh, without doing a lot of violence to the scripture, you could say, remember Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Focus on Jesus. This is our only chance to get through life victoriously, church. There's no other option. If you wanna live your life in victory, despite your situation, whatever's going on, the only way to do it is to fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith. There is absolutely no second option. Fixing our eyes also means talking about it. Because if you're, anything you're focused on, you're gonna talk about. It's just a, it's just a fact. If you're focused on something, it's going to come up in conversations. I'll use my, my lovely wife as an example. She is very focused over the last year or so on researching the brain. She's been fascinated with the workings of the brain, neuroplasticity, auditory processing, 
a lot of terms I didn't know a year ago. I know more today about the brain than I ever dreamed I would know. Because if you're a friend of Joy's and you're in a relationship with her, it's going to come up because she's focused on it. And she loves it, and it just overflows out of her. And it, sometimes whether you want to hear it or not. <laughs> but we always want to hear it, right? <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I saw the look. I tried to do it differently than the first service. It didn't work. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but it, anything, anything that you are focused on, if you're passionate about something, I mean, I, it's hard for me to have a conversation in church not to come up because I'm pretty passionate about the church because I pretty much live here. And so, and I love it. So it comes up all the time. Whatever we're focused on is going to come up. So have you ever thought about the idea, the reality of the fact that maybe part of the reason so many of us in the church struggle to get traction in our faith, struggle to really be passionate about Jesus, struggle with getting our faith out of the back seat and into the front seat, maybe it's because we don't talk about it. Maybe it's because we believe the lie that Satan has perpetuated that your faith is a private thing. I grieve every time I hear Christians say that. Oh, my faith is just so private to me. It's, it's this thing between me and God. The way you relate to God is your way. The way I do it, it's my way. It's just a private thing. It's a special thing I have that's just me and God. Now listen, there is a private aspect to your faith. There is a private relationship, an intimate personal relationship that you have with Jesus, but your faith is not meant to be private. That's the exact opposite of what God's heart is for you and for me and our faith. That we are to talk about our faith, we are to remember our faith, that what's so sad is that it's even prevalent among Christians that can be in relationship for weeks, years, forever, and never talk about their faith. Never talk about what Jesus is doing in their life, or never talk about the challenges they're having in their faith. Now, we'll talk about church. We'll talk about what we like and don't like about our church, but that's not your faith. Your faith is, is you and Jesus, and talking about it will actually stir your faith. We're meant to be encouraged by each other's faith. It's, it's the way God designed it. I, just this week, Joy and I, we met with the bakers. They came in and we talked with them for a while. Then if you know the bakers, they're, they're going through some rough waters in their life right now. They're going through a tough season in their life. And as we're talking to them, and Kenneth is talking about what God is showing him in this season in his life, and his faith is so strong right now, it's so stirred, he's so resolved, he's just so loving Jesus, and he's so thanking Jesus for what he's doing in him during this season. As I'm listening to him talk, I'm feeling it rise up in me. I'm just feeling my faith just get higher and higher and higher, like, yes, yes, I believe with you. I think it's great, it's wonderful. And the next thing I know, we're praying and we're all crying and we're having a time of our life. Praying and just crying out to God. And it was because his faith stirred my faith. And I'd be willing to bet our faith stirred their faith in return. That's the way it's designed to be. And it doesn't have to be in a pastor's office. It's meant to be done in relationship together. The reason we have these events, the reason we're having a festival of tables and a turkey shoot is not so we can decorate tables and shoot targets and eat turkey. Actually, we're eating barbecue. But that's not the only reason we do it. It's really just the gateway to get you guys together so we can talk about our faith and be encouraged in our faith. That's what it's about. In fact... Paul said in Romans, you know, he was, wrote this letter to the Roman church and he's wanting to come be with them. And he says it right at the very beginning in Romans 1, verse 11. Look what he says. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. 
that we can be encouraged, not Paul, not just Paul going to tell them all about Jesus, but them to encourage him as well. Because that's exactly how it's been designed for all of us. All right, so I wanna give you three things that we need to remember. Obviously, this is not exhaustive. This is just in prayer. These are the things that I wanna give you something that you can take tangibly with you. I encourage you to write them down, talk about it tonight or today, and, uh, and encourage each other and challenge each other. The first thing I want you to remember is to remember that God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. And I know I already mentioned that he's faithful, but you know what? It's such a big thing that it deserves more in this message today because if we're gonna remember anything about God, the biggest thing we need to remember is that he's faithful. It needs to get in our spirit. And I can tell you, I know that in the church today that there are too many of us that that is really not in our spirit. We can say it, we can sing it, but do we really believe it? That he is faithful in everything. You see, for people that don't believe in Jesus, the, their, their sticking point is that they just don't believe that Jesus is God. For Christians, the thing that we struggle to believe, is we don't struggle to believe Jesus is God or we wouldn't be a Christian. What we struggle to believe is, is he faithful? Is he faithful all the time? Is he faithful in every circumstance? Can I really, really trust him? Because if we believe he's faithful, we'll trust him. There's nothing that can knock us off that rail if we really believe that he is who he says he is. Part of the problem, though, is that we don't know what his faithfulness looks like. We think we do. We have a preconceived notion in our head of what the faithfulness of God looks like, and we come up with how we expect that faithfulness to look in our situations, and that's the only uh, conceivable option for us to see and believe and experience the faithfulness of God, where we see the sea parted, where we see the, the food, the manna on the ground, we see the water come out of the rock. That's God's faithfulness. When the reality is, you know, these people were in Egypt for 430 years. He was still faithful. They wandered the desert for 40 years. He was still faithful. So you see, you, you look at, we wanna, the ones that we like to read in our Bible are the ones where you can see it with your eyes, but sometimes we have to see it with our eyes of faith, that he's faithful in our life. And it starts with the cross. It starts with the cross. It's proof that God is faithful because he's the one that paid everything so that you and I could have a relationship with him. It cost him everything. What does your relationship with Jesus cost you? In Western culture, we can be a Christian with little sacrifice. Now, I, I believe wholeheartedly that's contrary to God's word, to his heart for us. Jesus told us if we're gonna be his disciple, we have to deny ourselves, we have to take up our cross, we have to follow him. That is a life of complete surrender to him. But the reality is salvation comes by believing that he is the son of God, receiving his forgiveness for your sins and walking with him, right? So we, in the United States, we can be a Christian with little sacrifice. It costs him everything. So that tells me right there that he's fully faithful just because of what it cost him to do it. And you might say, well, you know, but he's God, he had to do that. He had to come and die on the cross. Really? How did that work out for the people of Sodom? And Gomorrah, how about the people on earth during the time of Noah? He didn't come on the, down the cross for them. They were judged. He didn't have to do anything. He did it because of John 3:16, because he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And because of that, he is faithful. If he does nothing else for us until we are with him in heaven, he's still faithful. Now, he is a wonderful God and that's not how he functions. But we have to get out of this mentality that his faithfulness is going to look a certain way. Now, his faithfulness does sometimes look like the parting of the sea. 
Sometimes it does look like miraculous healings, miraculous provision, relationship restoration. Sometimes it looks phenomenal and we can shout it from the rooftops. And these testimonies we're gonna be sharing by video over the next three weeks are some really cool ones. And those are great. And that is who God is too. But we cannot limit the faithfulness of God to just being able to see what we want to see. You see, we think that the faithfulness of God is him fixing our day-to-day stuff too often. In 2 Peter 1 and 3, Peter tells us what his faithfulness looks like. It says his divine power has already given us everything we need. Say, everything I need. It's given me everything I need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Peter wrote this letter to the, to the Christians because persecution was starting to ramp up. This is the early church. It's starting, to, it's starting to pick up. They're starting to see more and more persecution. And Peter's saying, listen, the faithfulness of God right now doesn't necessarily look like him wiping out all your enemies and making sure you're in this protective bubble because they were starting to get persecuted. He's saying, that's not what it is. He's saying, but you have everything you need for life and godliness. And it is through our knowledge of him. Now, that word knowledge there is a huge word. The English does not do it justice. Because in the English, knowledge just means knowing something, right? I mean, I know a little bit about the brain thanks to joy. But you don't want me operating on your brain. I can promise you that. I don't have an intimate knowledge, okay? I have a very limited knowledge. But this word knowledge here in the Greek is an intimate knowledge. It is an, it's, in fact, it's an incredibly intimate knowledge of knowing him, not just knowing who he is, and yeah, I think I seen that Jesus guy one time, but knowing him, like Paul said, that I have forsaken all things for, to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, to know intimately. So he's telling us that when we know him intimately, that gives us what we need for life. His faithfulness is there, but what we really need is to intimately know him, especially when we're not seeing his faithfulness. Knowing him is what sustains us during those times. We have at our disposal everything we need, we just need to tap into it. And I can tell you today, church, knowing him intimately, having that intimate knowledge of him, is the only way we're getting through these trials in life victoriously. It's the only way. It's how, it's, this is the reason, people that know Jesus intimately, this is the reason that Christian funerals look different than non-Christian funerals. Some, many of you have probably been to both. I've, I've officiated both. I'm sure Pastor Bowen's officiated many of both. And you know, Christian funerals, you'll see worship. You'll see rejoicing. You'll see anticipation and expectation and excitement in the midst of grieving. You'll see that. At a non-Christian funeral, the best you can offer is to talk good about the person in the casket as best you can do. Did they leave a good legacy? Were they a good person? Let's talk, let's, let's share some memories, right? That's the best you can offer. But when it's a Christian, you know that it's different because of their relationship. God was faithful to that person in the casket because frankly, we can get so focused on this life and we miss out on the fact that this life is a vapor. This life is but a blip on a screen compared to eternity. And so frankly, getting to go be with Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, is actually a really good thing. Because we're getting to really step into the the real life that is life. 
We have got to get away from this superficial, shallow, me-centered relationship with Jesus if we're really going to be able to see his faithfulness in all things. Because if you think, well, I'll just focus on him once I get to a bad situation, right? Oh, things are going bad, I lost my job. Well, now it's time to really focus on Jesus. It's too late. It's too late, you're not gonna walk through it victoriously because you haven't set yourself up. You're not standing on the foundation that is gonna give you the strength you need to get through that season. It's too late then, church. It's the same reason Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane to prepare himself for the cross, and he went to the cross exactly the way he was supposed to go, and while he was praying, the disciples were taking a nap, and when it came time, the disciples scattered, because it was too late. They weren't ready. They were not ready. It's got to be a staple, it's got to be ingrained in our life that that's who we are, that we are following, pursuing, and loving and worshiping Jesus, and knowing him intimately. That's what's gonna sustain us when we remember that he is faithful. All right, secondly, we remember that, remember that first love. Remember the first love. Remember why you stepped into this life of faith in the first place. We need to be reminded of that. Why we stepped into faith, because just like anything else, your faith can become mundane and old hat if you are not remembering why you're doing this. If you're not remembering why you stepped into this life of faith in the first place. You know, some of you might have got saved when you were a little kid, so you don't remember all of that. But chances are, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you probably had a moment in your life where you had a revelation of his love for you. You had a revelation of how much you needed his love, how much you needed salvation, how, how good, how you were not good enough on your own. And you had that moment, you had that honeymoon with Jesus when you really decided to give your life to him. Remember that. Remember those things. It's easier to remember about it when you talk about it too. Remember how God has worked in your life. Because if we don't, we end up going on cruise control. And let me tell you, cruise control in a car on I-20 is a good thing, but not in your faith. It is not a good thing in our faith because what happens is then our faith turns into a bunch of rituals and habits. And it can actually harm us more than it helps us. And unfortunately, there's too many that have given in to doing that. There, that's the reason, church, it's, it's not our default to be intentional about remembering who Jesus is and where he's brought us from. It's not our default. That's why Moses said in my text verse, he says, be careful, be careful to not forget. You have to be intentional not to forget all that he has done for you and how good he really is in your life. How many, if we're honest, would have to admit that we are on cruise control a little bit in our faith? that we've lost our first love. The, good, the bad news is that that means you are cruising. The good news is the way to stop cruise control is very easy, you just tap the brake. That's all you gotta do. So some of us, you just need to tap your brake in your faith. And you need to start remembering your first love, remembering who Jesus was to you back when it started and get yourself to that place. Let me tell you, if the gospel doesn't move your heart, if the cross doesn't move your heart, then you need to stop right there and you need to meditate on it until it does move your heart. Let me, let me take you to, to Revelation 2. So this is the, the revelation that God gave the Apostle John, okay? And, and it was directly given to John, but there's, there's actually red lettering in Revelation because it's the words of Jesus, the revelation that he gave to John. So this is the words of Jesus in Revelation. He's talking about the church in Ephesus. 
in, verses, in chapter two, verses four and five. He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember where you were at the beginning when you were on that emotional high in your salvation. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. They forgot who they were and they forgot whose they were. And here's the thing about this passage of scripture. Just by reading that, you would assume, as we all would, that the, the, the church in Ephesus must have been really an apostate church, right? They really walked away from God. I mean, they must have just been full of evil people that just did their own thing and didn't care about God anymore and they were just going through the motions. It was a dead church, had nothing going for it, obviously, because Jesus said, you've lost your first love and you need to repent because you've fallen from high heights. Well, here's the interesting thing about this, and this is why this is so prevalent to us today, is that if you go back a couple verses and look at the context of what Jesus is saying to this church in Ephesus, it changes everything. So I'm gonna back up just a couple verses to verses two and three, and look what it says. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a church that deserves a rebuke. That's a pretty cool church. I'd like to be in that church. I mean, he's, he's going on saying that they're working hard, that they're persevering, they're not tolerating wicked men, they're testing false apostles and kicking them out, and they're enduring hardships, they're persevering, and it's for the name of Jesus. That's a pretty good sounding church. I mean, I would, if, I was, if I was in Ephesus, I walked in that church, I'd say, this is where I wanna be. They're praising God, they're doing things in the name of Jesus, they're kicking out false teachers. Let's go, you guys are rocking and rolling. You're obviously listening to the Spirit. But then he goes on to say, you've lost your first love. And he's rebuking them, telling them they have to repent. So the lesson here, that we learn is that, you know what? You can lose your first love and still do all the rituals. You can lose your first love, you can do all the right things in the name of Jesus and not even know why you're doing it. Because we can get so habitual. We can, I don't know about you, but I can talk Christianese without even thinking about it. <laughs> I, can, I can whip out Christianese all day, all day long. You put me in front of a, Pentecostal preacher and start having a conversation, I can go into cruise control and just start talking Christianese. Praise God, hallelujah, I can say all the right words. Not even thinking about it. And we can all do it. We can all go through the motions. You, you can be in here and worship, and, and I'm as guilty of this, of this as anybody. I can even worship sometimes, and all of a sudden I'll start raising my hands, and I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch. I'm worshiping a hamburger. It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy, we can be so mindless in this faith if we've been doing it forever. And that's what he's telling them, you guys are doing all the right things, you're saying all the right things, you're doing the rituals that I really like, but your heart's not there. Your heart's grown cold. You've forgotten your first love, you need to repent. You need to remember your first love. Go back to the beginning. Church, if that is you today, go back to the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Wasn't that from The Sound of Music? Let's start at the very beginning. 
That's what we need to do. We need to go all the way back and remember why we started this journey of faith in the first place. And let me tell you, every one of you have somebody in your life that you could talk to, your, to them about your faith. Let somebody encourage you in your faith. For the love of God, stop acting like you have it all together and you know everything and you don't wanna be transparent because people might think less of you. We're all struggling through this. We're all in the same boat. We're all on the same journey. Everybody's dealing with the same things. Now, I might not be going through exactly the same things you are today, but I promise you I've been through those and I'll probably be through those again. None of us are above anybody else. We're all on the same ground. We are here to encourage each other. Let's not listen to the devil's lies that we can't talk about our faith or if, we are, if we're transparent, the people are gonna reject us. The reality is we need each other. We need each other. Praise God. All right, let me give you the last one real quick. We have to remember that every blessing is from God. And I can't take the time on this that I would like to, but man, this is, this is so important for us. And I know it sounds elementary, but stay with me because it's really not. See, we all have obvious blessings in our life where we know it was from God, where he provided miraculously for you or he did something crazy that you just knew it was God. We have those. But we have to remember that every good thing in our life is from God. Every one of them. James reminded us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good thing in your life is from God. And if we don't remember that, what we end up doing is we trivialize it, trivialize it, or we take credit. Where we think, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, God's blessed me, but I mean, the reality is, I got a nice house and a few cars because I worked my tail off, all right? I got a good job because I went to college and got an education. Again, don't say that out loud, but that's what we really think, and our, our, our life shows that because we think it's because of us. You can tell when you feel like you're the one that has accomplished this. When the reality is, even the ability to work hard was God-given. The brain you have to get educated, to get a good job was God-given. The diligence you have in your life was a trait that God gives you. The perseverance is something God gives you. Everything in our life is from God. Whether directly or indirectly, it's all from Him. And, and it's, it's amazing how if you will give God glory for everything in your life, how that, it just, it just releases it from you. Like the responsibility's not yours anymore. Like you can walk around in total humility because you know it's not from you anyway. And that's what God wants for us in our life. So let me quickly give you the, the story. I actually preached a sermon on this about a year and a half ago about the golden calf and uh, how that God's blessing became a God to these people. And if you know the story of the golden calf, you know that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God says, I'm gonna deliver them, he uses Moses to bring them out of Egypt miraculously, incredibly, and they get to Mount Sinai, they cross the Red Sea, they get to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain, God gives them the 10 Commandments. He comes down, gives them the law, makes a covenant with them, and the people say, yep, this is good, let's do it. Moses goes back up on the mountain to get the, the blueprint for the tabernacle, the place that was gonna house the presence of God for them, and he's gone for a while, so the children of Israel come to Aaron, Moses' sidekick, and say, hey, Moses is gone, he's been gone for a while, we don't know if he's coming back, Make us a God so we can worship something. And so Aaron, in his incredible wisdom, says, that sounds like a great idea. And he says, give me all your gold earrings. So all the people gave him their gold earrings. He took it, put it in the fire, used a tool, made a calf. They worshiped it. Tragic story, right? But what makes this so interesting is that this blessing from God became an, an actual God to the people of Israel. Not just 
the blessing of them coming out of Egypt, but I'm talking about the blessing of the gold that they used. You see, the, the Israelites were slaves. They would have not had gold on their own. The Egyptians would have never let them have gold earrings or have anything nice. They were completely subjected to the Egyptian people. So where did they get this gold? Well, in Exodus chapter three, verse 22, this is when God was telling Moses that he was gonna use him to deliver the, the children of Israel. He says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So God tells Moses, tell all the women there to ask the women in their house, the Egyptians, hey, when we're leaving, I want your gold, which sounds ridiculous, but they actually did it because God said they would do it. God made them favorably disposed towards the Israelites, and the Israelites got all this gold that they left with. God was blessing them. It was almost like he was giving them payment for all their years of slavery. And they had all this wonderful gold as they come out of, e out of Egypt. They're at the Mount, Mount Sinai, and they take this gold, and they make a God out of it. They took the blessing that God gave them, and they made a false God out of it. And you know what? We can ridicule them all we want. We do the exact same thing. We are just as prone to making a God out of the blessings that God gives us in our life. You know what a God is in your life? It is anything that you elevate above God. Anything in your life that you elevate. It could be your career, it could be your education, it could be relationships, it could be your checking account, it could be your IRA, your 401k, it could be your car, it could be your house, it could be anything in your life that you elevate above God is a God. And the reality is that any one of those things you make into a God is a blessing from God. It is the gold earrings that God has given you. Because I don't care what you think you did to get it, it was a blessing from God. The Bible is very, very clear. The earth is the Lord's and everything thereof. Everything in the earth is his. So anything that you have is given to you by him. God even gives things to people that aren't Christians. Everything that anybody has in this world is from God. So anything you elevate above him, you are actually taking a blessing given to you by God and bringing it above him. And if we are not remembering his blessings, if we don't remember that everything we have is from him, we will fall into this trap. It has to be a priority in our life, not a priority, a, the, the top priority in our life to grow in our faith. Because if we are not growing, church, we are forgetting you're not growing in your faith, you're forgetting, and you're putting, and there's things just waiting to get elevated in your life above God. And what God would say to that is to repent, to turn away from that, because there is nothing in this world that is meant to be above him. There's nothing even beside him. Everything is below him. And, and what he asks us to do is very simple, just to honor him with everything. Thank him for his blessing. Thank him for his provision. We ask him for our daily bread and we thank him and we worship him in it and because of it. Peter, one more verse out of Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse nine, he's telling us, before this he says to add to your faith. He's telling us this list of things we need to add to our faith, that we need to be growing in our faith. And he says, if you do not have these things, you are nearsighted and blind and you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sin. So Peter here is telling us, you're either growing or you're forgetting. You're either growing or forgetting. And you might think, well, I don't forget 
I'm telling you, if you're not growing, it may be a slow erosion, but you are forgetting. Be diligent and intentional to remember the goodness and the grace and the mercy of your God in your life. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for us today. I just, I just ask you to, if, if you're comfortable, if you would just close your eyes where you are so that it's just you and God. You're not looking around. You're not looking at me. It's just you and him. And just be honest in your heart. The beautiful thing of our God is that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're not here to condemn. He doesn't condemn. I don't condemn. He's here to lift us up. He's here to make us more like him, that we would give our lives to him completely, that he would be the intimate relationship that we're pursuing, that we would remember his faithfulness, that we would remember our first love, and that we would remember that every blessing is from him. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you today for your mercy and your grace. God, you are so wonderful and so good. We love you so, so much, God. We thank you, Lord. God, we thank you today. We thank you for the gospel. We just thank you for the gospel. If we do nothing else today but thank him for coming and dying for us, that's enough. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy of it all as we sang today. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. We thank you for your presence in our life. We thank you for your faithfulness in our life. God, would you help us to be careful to not forget what our eyes have seen of your great works in our life. Lord, where we have fallen short, God, we repent. Where we have rejected or walked away from or forsaken our first love, God, would you, would you help us take us back to the beginning? Take us back to where we remember, where we where we know why we stepped into this life of faith in the first place. God, we, have let, we can easily let so many things get in the way, so many things that can take precedence over you, God. Lord, we come against that today. We, we reject that today, and we put you in your rightful place. You are first. You are above all. You are the only person in our life that deserves our worship. There's nothing else. We give it all to you, Lord. We give it all to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us not to forget. Help us to remember your faithfulness, to remember your goodness, to remember your mercy, to remember your great deeds in our life. Your faithfulness to mankind, but your faithfulness to us too. God, we rejoice in it today. We thank you that in our, in our stormy waters that you can still be trusted. And we do, Lord, today. We declare that we trust you. We honor you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's praise God one more time. Yes, thank you, Lord.